G'day, Connell. Hello, listeners. Hey, Hugh. Welcome, listeners. And welcome, Producer Gil. Hugh? <laughs> I forgot it. It's on the list. I fucked up the process on the process episode. Hugh, why are we here today? We're here to inspire and educate the business owner. How are we doing that, mate? Comically, we're talking about process <laughs> and how getting the process wrong can hurt your business. Yeah, or getting the process wrong and you end up with a $140 foam roller. <laughs> like the Minister of Finance did. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, what have we got to look forward to on today's show? We've got a session of Bad Swiss Box. After that, we'll talk about process in depth. Then we'll close the loop. And then after that, you get to hear about our upcoming shows. For the audience, process is in a 140-page manual and why things don't work and why they do work. We're going to talk about it today. Let's find out. The Rapid Fire Review. Connell and Hugh take 30 seconds each to reflect. Connell, what have you been thinking about this week? Quite a bit, actually. The first thing that I wanted to talk about, which is something that's really started to appear for me in my business at the moment, is a concept that you've mentioned before. It's called melting the ice. Can you just tell me in the audience and Gil a bit more about it? Yeah, so melting the ice uh, comes from James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits, and talks about habit creation. And it really talks about the non-linear journey of, of doing new things. Mm-hmm. So the, the metaphor used in the book is that for an ice cube to melt, you need to get over zero degrees yep. and assume a room is at minus 10 degrees. And you've got all this energy and effort to heat the room up until you actually see the ice melts. And that's the thing. So it's just understanding that it takes time. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you get to that critical temperature, all of a sudden the ice melts. So you're heating up the room, you're melting the ice. So there can be a delay in seeing results, essentially. Well, I haven't read the book, so I'm just going off what you've talked about. But to me, my understanding of the concept is that it's the combination of what we've talked about on the podcast. It's having a clearly defined purpose, having goals, and then having a mindset that aligns all three. You know, just getting you central, getting you good to go so you can get it to that critical point. And that's something that's become really pertinent for me in my business very recently. I've completely foregone my old purpose, got a new one. It's one that really lights a fire inside me because you actually challenged me on it. And I realized the one I had before was just corporate garbage. I'll talk a bit about goals in the closing the loop for this week. So Hugh, what about you? What have you been thinking about? Yeah, before I go to me, I'll just close that out. So yeah, you've created a lot of momentum without seeing the results, but now you've seen, you've built up enough momentum. You've heated up the room enough that you're actually seeing some the ice melting, you're yeah. getting some breakthrough moments. Nearly yeah. getting to that key. <laughs> Nearly getting to Okay. So for me, um, shows on process and I was actually reflecting on my own personal processes. Mm-hmm. And at home, we've got a budget system, which uh, where everything goes into buckets. And some of those buckets is some personal spending for my wife and I. So mm. my wife and I get pocket money and it's the best thing that I ever did uh, for <laughs> our house. And why is that? Why is having pocket money better than what you were doing before? Oh, well, it's as a parent, which... Uh, mightn't resonate with you or a family budget, all of a sudden you can get a bit lost, but it, it allocates something that you can go spend guilt-free. And me, uh, as self-appointed Minister of Finance in our households, <laughs> it was the, a revolution. But but the point that I want to make is actually how I spend my pocket money. How do you do it? So I've got this rule or got this process yep. that if I want to complete splurge buy, I wait 30 days uh, and it saves me buying crap. I was just thinking you'd buy all the leather jackets you saw. <laughs> um, has that failed you? I think this well, is the point of the show. It is like every time I don't follow the process, I end up with a shitty result. <laughs> what was the last shitty result? Hang five. You stepped away. I've got a brilliant vibrating foam roller here, <laughs> which I bought in an impulse buy and it hasn't served me at all well. Classic foam roller, just a 
uh, release tight muscles. That's all you need. I decided to spend, I think, 125 bucks on this bad boy. Oh. <laughs> for over the $5 real phone rollers you can get from Kmart. <laughs> well, probably 25 but you get it. So follow the process. Yes. When you don't follow a process, it can cost you money. Okay. That's what we're talking about. Let's do it. Let's do Does it. it work? No, it's rubbish. <laughs> this is 2P1J. Let's start today's show and process by taking the audience through a simple business journey. Might even reflect their own. Hypothetical. So you're a solo return, not unlike yourself, have a bit of success. You start to grow team. You train the team, do you know what I mean? With some on the job training and they're all capable of doing the tasks that you set them. What I think a lot of employees will resonate with though is even though people are capable during the training, as soon as they start working autonomously, they start making mistakes. You know, orders might be getting mixed up, whatever it might be for your business. You know, these people can do the job, but now they can't. That's what we're trying to quantify is like, you already know what you need to do. You've got the process, you've done the training, but you've got these simple mistakes and they're costing you money. Like you've got overhead now, mm. you've got staff, you've got bills to pay, you know, so how much are these mistakes actually costing your business? It's all about attitude. And I'll tell you about a time where I just think the attitude was completely off. So I had a manager in one of my old jobs and I'd made a mistake during preparing a report for an ISO 9001 recertification. I'd made a mistake because I'd received on the job training and then I've been told to do this report with no specific training for that, just given a 140 page manual to read. I didn't have time to go through that whole manual. So I made the mistake and I was willing to work back to correct it. But my manager said, don't worry about it. No one's gonna die because of that. We'll deal with it tomorrow. But I thought, what if someone was going to die because I'd made that mistake? I think that's a perfect segue into our next story. But just to go backtrack on your story a bit, like this seems like the perfect thing, 140 page manual, on the job training, qualified candidate, and you still got it wrong. Yeah. So in the idea of quantifying how much a mistake's costing you, let's turn to a hospital example. So in 2001, there was a guy called Peter Pronovost. He was an ICU specialist at John Hopkins. Mm -hmm. And he saw that these simple infections in central lines were costing the hospital money. And there was a key series of steps to how to put in a central line. And they were really simple. Wash your hands, make sure there's sterile drapes and put antiseptic on the site. That was it. So what jumps out at me about that is that none of that should be new information to doctors. I mean, I think they would all have been trained on that very early in their careers. Yeah. So you've got specialists with, I don't know, 10 years plus of training. You've got a process which is simple. It's not new. It's just like, this is the protocol for putting it in. And all he did was get the infrastructure right so that people could follow the process. So they gave nurses permission to stop the doctors to do the process. Okay. And the success was great. It was so great that they rolled it out to some of the poorest hospitals in Michigan. And how'd that go? Well, see, this is what happened. So just implementing this known information already yeah. in these poorest hospitals in the world led to staggering results, like unfathomable. So in what was called the Keystone Initiative, over 18 months in these eight trial hospitals, it saved the hospital an estimated $175 million and more than 1,500 lives. Yeah, right. So none of this was something that required additional training or additional resources to be supplied necessarily. It's just about getting the stupid but essential things right. 
Perfect. And that's where we're going with the show. Like you as a customer, how many times have you gone to buy something and the vendor just needed to return the email, return the phone call? Audience, let us know. How does that ever happen to you? Do you think a company's ever lost a sale because they just weren't proactive enough? Oh, it's got to have happened to everybody. But think in, in a business, in your own business scenario or any business, like go back to the, that simple business journey, like shipping the wrong order. As soon as you ship the wrong order, what happens? Then you have to deal with irritated customers, extra shipping costs, and then the time spent managing that issue as well. You can quantify the shipping, but all the the, the cost to your business from the customer getting pissed off, the, mm. the, the time, all of those costs are, and, and that waste is really hidden. Yeah. So where we're going, it's not more training. Think of the doctors, specialists with 10 years. It's not more information. And you can get bamboozled with all the fancy AI and chat GPT <laughs> rubbish. So it's not more information. It's about protecting what you already know. And it's about being aware of those hidden costs. There are hidden costs with not following the process and then having a failure because of that. I mean, it's what you call the compounding nature of that. Because if you want consistent results or outcomes, you need to have a process that you can follow to do it. And that's back to that journey. You know, that simple business journey is like you go to scale and all of a sudden mistakes happen. Mm -hmm. So, I'm sure the audience, they, they get it. They understand the power of process and they're like, well, you had a 140-page manual and you still got it wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're going to get to. We're going to sort of get to the, how to get the essential things and make sure they're not forgotten. We're going to give the listeners the secret sauce behind process. Absolutely. And uh, talking of the secret sauce, let's see what the creme de la creme Bads thinks on this subject. Again, kicked him up the show order and Connell Bads the Oracle of Toowoomba, <laughs> new nickname. Yes. We mentioned earlier in, in one of the early shows, former hand model. Do you know how he got his start? I've got a bit of an idea. So I had seen somewhere that he started his career because he was really well known for his incredible speed in solving Rubik's Cubes. But then what happened to him after so that? On a Guinness Book World Record special, do you know yeah. what I mean, where they have the TV specials, yeah. the camera focused in on his hands. Watched by a talent agency and goes, they're beautiful hands. Got picked yeah. up straight away as a jewellery watch model, as they say. Rest is history. Wow. Let's see what the cream of the crop has to say. Ryan steps onto Bad's box with his unfiltered opinion. Quick wit and sharp insight. Welcome back, Ryan. Yeah, mate. Good to be here. It's uh, good to be finally back from capturing dinosaurs or whatever I was doing last time. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, good to be back in the land of the living and... Uh, Feeling fresh and, and energized and ready to go for today, that's for sure. Time is away. Two minutes up on the Time box. Time is away. What do you got on process? Right, I'm going to tell you why uh, you don't need a process. So while having a process is beneficial for many organizations, you know, and there's a lot of potential benefits to having a process, don't get stuck in a rut. Without a process, the benefits are flexibility. You've got, you got speed. You can move quickly without getting bogged down in bureaucracy. Agility, the same thing. If you need to flex, you can. And it's simple. Without a process, things can be simple. But obviously, there's many pitfalls in being that flexible. But I'd argue, and you touched on it last show, the Hedgehog and Kodak, whilst I don't want to sort of muddy the waters between process and a niche, probably part of the reason that they didn't adapt and become agile enough is because they were stuck doing what they'd always done in their process that wasn't always working. So be careful. If you're going to be the Hedgehog, make sure you're a good Hedgehog and make sure you're doing it in the right place. You don't want it to be your hedgehog or have uh, process for the sake of it. Obviously, processes, you know, build consistency, efficiency. Uh, you can measure it, brings about accountability and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, you just got to be careful. Don't have process for process sake where it's not required. And then don't be the, don't be the fox or be completely uh, 
with our process because that'll bring you unstuck just as just as easily. So have a think about any two sporting teams you see playing each other. You'll see process, or in that example, it's a game plan. It'll win every time over the ad hoc play. You know, unstructured play is more exciting, but it's exhausting. It's hard to follow for new players, and it's only suitable for the highly skilled and highly talented players. It's not scalable. You can't bring a, you know, a player from a lower grade or with less skill into a, in a team that's playing completely ad hoc style. So eventually that, that ad hoc will break down and the process will take over and then it'll just be, you know, rugby term, just kind of chug, chug, chug and, and they'll get the results. So, you know, it's careful. Be careful. Don't be stuck in your process, but make sure you've got enough process in enough of the right areas, but provide a bit of flexibility and let people think, you know, if the engineers designed uh, or had complete control over the, all the cars at BMW, they'd look horrendous, okay? <laughs> and they'd be very difficult from a customer experience. So just don't process or engineer out the flair and the creativity. That's what I've got to say, boys. So be careful. And Hugh, I know you love process. And I just thought I'd quickly throw in a, an acronym for you, Connell. <gasps> <laughs> just be careful with those TLAs, the old three-letter acronyms, because you'll run the, run the risk of people thinking that you're just dropping another Jaffa. Just another fucking acronym. So be careful, boys, <laughs> and good luck. Was that English at the end? <laughs> I think I missed half of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I, I want to slow that down. A Jaffa, just another fucking. Just acronym. another fucking acronym. Oh, yeah. oh, oh fucking over my head. <laughs> Very wise words. Some really hot takes, and I think uh, you called it out, Ryan. But Hugh loves the process. So off the cuff, what are your thoughts? I'll go back to ranting on the same. Th- oh, it's not a rant. On the soapbox, sorry, sorry, I disrespected the paddock. <laughs> the yeah, but I think the flexibility and the football analogy and the game plan, I think that's it. And, and that's where we're going with it on the show is the sense that you want the process to say, this is how we're going to play the game. But when you get in the game, you want that flexibility to, to have that individual flair. And I think that's what happens with a lot of process. It's like, they, they turn people's minds off and they don't think what they should be doing. But you're like, this is how we, we're going to play the game. But when you're actually playing the game, you need that creativity. You need that flexibility. And the irony is in business, every day is game day. As opposed to the sports field, you go train, 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 and then they go, let's see what happens. But, but what do you do when every day is game day? And that's what we've spoken about. That's what we're going to build the show around, that everyday game day process. Yeah. It's actually incredible that we don't plan these with how well sometimes what you say, Ryan, aligns with what we talk about. <laughs> so I agree with you entirely. But I think from an outsider perspective, I mean, I obviously only know you both a bit of a handful, but um, you're opposite ends of the same spectrum in some ways. Hugh, Hugh's very granular. He'll he'll fucking go to the most nth degree. And then Ryan, you seem a lot more kind of free will, just do whatever and, and figure it out as you go. And it, it, I'm so frustrated because there was a perfect quote to encapsulate this that I'd seen just yesterday and I couldn't find it again. But it was something along the lines of people that plan but never act will never get as far as people that plan Oh, I've cooked that. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I tried writing it down. Um, people that plan but never act will never get as far as people that act without planning. Something along those lines. Ryan, can you improve that? <laughs> Look, I can't improve it, but what I would say is that progress over perfection, which is in a similar vein, mm. actually do, doing is yeah. better than planning. Yeah. And talking about what you might do and how you might do it when you actually get a chance to do it is great, but you need to do it and, and get you know, get in the game. And as you said, you know, play what's in front of you. You can see if someone's just sticking to a process, 
they're often missing significant opportunities to improve it. And if they're just stuck doing it the same way they've always done it, then, you know, the old square wheel analogy, you know, we're too busy for those round wheels. We've got these square ones and we're trying to drag that car around the road. So, you know, just be, uh, don't be stuck in it. Don't, don't over-engineer things uh, for the sake of a process. Sure, it's really important. And I know in my business, we're getting stuck because our process isn't good enough. And that's because I love not having a process. <laughs> but it, it's getting really hard to scale the business without one. So you've got to have it in the right areas. But yeah, Connell, you're spot on there. Yeah. You and I are very different. <laughs> <laughs> I love just as you were talking, I just summarized this in my own head just to make a point. You need pop in your business. Oh, no. <laughs> Progress over process. <laughs> <laughs> Love the jeez. Oh, and, and we might have to change the segment to the Oracle of Toowoomba you yeah. know, rather than Badger's Box. <laughs> okay. Uh, thanks again, mate. Uh, as I All said right. last week, the man who can shit gold in the space of two minutes. So we'll get on with the show. Yeah, good luck, boys. You're listening to Two Paths, One Journey. Always good to hear from Bats. I actually heard that Rolex attributes some of their success to his hands. So for anyone that's listening to the podcast, get on socials, have a look at them. All right, you into the core theme of today's show. What are we doing? Process. So simple things straight away. As a business, you've got to establish like how you want things done. Okay. You've got to train your people against them. Okay. And then you've got to write it down. That's all pretty captain obvious though. Not too hard. Everyone knows that. Yep. We're going to assume that the audience gets that. We're not going to back say, oh, we'll figure it out and then write it down. Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. So we are going to come up with better questions to ask and to answer. So we're thinking, how do you make sure that the people that you hire don't muck up the simple stuff every day and yourself? And then how do you manage the complex when it occurs? Yeah. Put the missing pieces behind the process. Like you had a 140 page model, uh, 140 <laughs> page manual and you still got it wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's a great thing, you know, because I think it's important to understand the different methods you have as a business owner to create and manage your processes. So just to really go through them quite quickly, you have SOPs, checklists, any visual aids like flowcharts, and then you have daily huddles and toolbox meetings. So they're your methods to manage it. But we've talked personally a bit about the book called The Checklist Manifesto. Do you want to just run us through that? Yeah, so I just wanted to pause here in the show and just give credit to the book because uh, the author, Atul Gawande, who wrote The Checklist Manifesto, and it's a story about his journey as a surgeon creating a safe surgery checklist for the World Health Organization. So a lot of the stories here, apart from the ones that are obviously ours, that they're all credited to that book. So it's important, I think, to reference the source. We're going to have to check that pronunciation on a future closing the loop. <laughs> I've already checked. Have you? <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. yeah, I've already checked, so, so don't worry. But- I think around the process and the same sort of thing, this is where people go wrong. Bads talks about flexibility. I think you've got to handle flexibility. I think the main thing, and even in your experience, is understanding the audience. For me, the biggest learning was a good process is not a training document. Absolutely. I mean, what I learned from working at the employment that I did is that you can have a really, really good training doc. It can be very long and very detailed, but it might not be the most effective you know, you can have something better. So in your experience, what's a better version look like? And that was exactly my experience is like, once you've got somebody trained, you want to make sure that the stupid but critical tasks don't get forgotten. Mm -hmm. And I want to tell you a little bit of story about back in the the farming days and when we were washing produce. So what was happening uh, as part of what we did, we'd wash produce, it'd go through the washing system and then it'd go get packed. 
It was the first step of the production process. So if they didn't get off the mark running, it set up a bad day. So you had to get off that step straight away. Yeah. And the guys kept falling behind. So we went to work on an SOP. <laughs> okay. What was the end product? Oh, I can't remember. 12, maybe 20 pages of beauty. <laughs> How to connect the bath, uh, what to do, the motor starting sequence, where to set the fill levels, all of this stuff, uh, how to sanitize the produce and, and how to set up. Yeah. I could have given you the manual and you could have run that process, you know, from day one. Yeah. So from a training document and from a developed process, it was very, very good. We've already told a story about me having too long a book or manual to refer to. So I have a feeling where this story is going, but you tell us what yeah. happened. Made no difference. <laughs> okay. Made no difference. Yeah. And this is where I think BADS was going around the flexibility. Yeah. And I suppose after seeing that, there was five critical points in that process that made the difference to whether you got started on time. And the manual in all its beauty could be broken down into, into five points. So, so the first thing was you need to make sure the seals were in the bath because if you filled it up and the seals weren't in, you had to start again. So that was slow. The next thing is you had to turn the cooling on because if you didn't turn the cooling on on time, it took a long time to cool down. That was another thing. You needed to discuss the plan with, with the receivables team or with the packing team and confirm that you're on the same page, confirm that you had matching plans. Then while you're waiting for the bath to fill, get the first product out so you're ready to go. And then the, the final step of the process, add the sanitizing agent or the cleaning agent so that you're getting product. Those five steps, once they got broken out of the manual, made the difference. I really want to jump back to something Bad said. You know, he called out that having too rigid a process, uh, it can be detrimental. And he called out that you love a process. So I think it's really good at least that you were able to see that these five key steps were buried in an 18-page document or however long it was, and that wasn't really beneficial and wasn't helping anyone. When you disseminated it just down to the five-point checklist, what happened then? That was the, the thing, like the five most critical points. So we're front and center. So you've got a trained operator. They already know how to do the majority of the steps. Like you show them the starting sequence once they know it. But what would happen when they had a false start or they were slow to start, they would have missed one of these critical steps. For example, they didn't turn the cooling on time and then everybody's waiting for, for it to cool down. Mm -hmm. So it was the missing of these critical steps that made the difference. And as soon as they broke away from the process, again, that was the problem. And my point being is, and even your experience, this is where people go wrong. They go, let's build a SOP. But an SOP doesn't help the day-to-day -day process. Great yep. for training, but it's not right. I couldn't have put it better myself. And I think when we actually consider, you know, our audience, where they're in, in their business, they're probably at the stage of providing on-the-job training. And they may be, have, may be creating SOPs, maybe have a dedicated SOP kind of Bible, but I don't know if they're there yet. So I think it's important to think about what's good day to day. So from your example, I just have a few points that I think made your checklist more appropriate for the day to day. And I think it's that it provided a reminder of the most critical and important steps to already train staff. So they weren't re-going through a 14, 12, whatever page document. 140 page document. <laughs> uh, yeah, for, for me, 140 pages. They were just getting the, the need to know, you know, so it's quick, it's easy, it's accessible. And it's also practical and useful for new staff too, because it tells them the key steps. But what do you think a good element of an everyday process is? 
that's where we're going to talk about the process architecture, I suppose, the elements that you need to make a good process. And Bads spoke about the game plan and the flexibility, you know, in, in his, his football analogy there. And this is where we're, we're going to talk about is build the flexibility and build in the architecture and see where what the research says, what the checklist manifesto says, then also our own personal experience. So I reckon there's four key elements. It's focused and easy to use. And that was my experience. You know, the 12, 18 page SOP wasn't focused. It wasn't easy to use. So a five point checklist made the difference. The next thing of a great process architecture is it's delegates responsibility and it can manage complex problems. That's the flexibility element. Yep. Okay. And another place where they go wrong it's not always a record-keeping procedure. Yeah. So process doesn't mean fill out a form, you know? We're going to talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the fourth thing is discipline. Do you know what I mean? You've got to follow the process. Yeah. So let's get into focused and easy to use. Focused and easy to use. From what we've spoken about so far, I think it's pretty clear that we've obviously referenced checklists quite a lot, but there are other methods you can get or other methods that we talked about that you can use to achieve that as well. So a daily huddle and flow charts, they're also effective at disseminating information that's focused and easy to access or to use. But what do you think is focused and easy to use about checklists specifically? Well, just talk process as a whole, do you know what I mean? I think straight away, the number one thing like is accessibility, like having it ready the information, the critical steps ready and available, you know, having a, a five-point checklist or rather than a bulky manual, it makes common sense, but it's got to be accessible as in physically accessible. Yes. Another point to talk about is, is if you want to discuss what's good, well, what's bad? Mm -hmm. It's long mm -hmm. and vague. It's ambiguous, causes confusion. You know what I mean? Yep. It's understanding the user journey, you know, what are they doing? They're busy. They don't have time to look through the manual. I want to jump back to the um, the accessible point that you made. I'm just going to call this out for any uh, watchers out there, but we have a checklist for the podcast <laughs> and we tend to keep it on our desks during the filming because it, it becomes obvious then. You can see what you're meant to do and you have that in your head clearly. Absolutely. So accessibility, and that's why you see like you go into a hospital, you see those graphics or the infographics on the wall, you know, they're accessible to remind people. But I go further with accessibility, you know what I mean? Apart from the easy to use, it's, you've got to reduce some of the friction within the process itself. Friction is a real term. It's got some meaning behind it. What is it? What is stopping compliance? Do you know what I mean? So what are the barriers to compliance? What is the friction cost? Yeah. And if we go back to the, the central lines and, and that story, the actually point there, it wasn't training. So we discussed that it was a simple step, you know, wash your hands, sterile drapes over the patient and to use antiseptic. When they actually dug deep, they found the, the biggest problems was actually not compliance, uh, with compliance, wasn't knowledge. It was like, oh, they couldn't access the antiseptic. They couldn't access the sterile drapes. So to support the infrastructure of the process, they made it easy. Okay. So having this checklist identified the gaps in the infrastructure as well, which then meant they had positive flow on effects once they started to correct them. So for that example, they actually went on to make a, a central line kit, which had the drapes and the anesthetic and in hospitals, hand-washing procedures are everywhere. Yeah. And that's why those hand-washing facilities are everywhere. They make it easy. So yeah. if you want somebody to do something repeatedly, make it easy, you yeah. know, make it accessible. So you may write this great process, but if they have to leave their station and fumble for the highlighter mm. to do whatever, that's the problem. So making it easy is one, the material, but also any of the barriers in the process. Yeah. 
that's exactly what our audience should keep in mind when they're coming up with the process is what external barriers could my staff face when having to complete this? And then that's what you need to attack as well. Let's get into the second point though. Yeah. So as we said, the second point is it delegates responsibility. Yeah. A great process gives you people power and accountability. Yeah. And Bad spoke about this to a degree. He spoke about having a bit of flexibility and having the authority to make decisions on the fly. Do you have any examples where a company can do this successfully? A well-known example is the Ritz-Carlton. It's a luxury hotel chain. Never stayed there personally. (laughs) (laughs) Minister of Finance never approved it. Um, But it empowers its employees to solve problems. Okay, so it trains them, it gives them the resources, but they've also got authority. So again, they, they can spend up to $2,000 per guest to resolve an issue without approval. Yeah. They've got authority to act. I think that's a really incredible demonstration of this delegating authority and being able to give your staff a bit of autonomy to solve problems on their own. But not every company out there has $2,000 to give to each staff member. I mean, I wish <laughs> I wish that was the case. So what's more realistic that small businesses could consider doing? As I said in, in this example in the heading, it's like to delegate, to give power, you know, to push it out to the staff. And it may be not necessarily a monetary value attached, but just decision-making authority. So if we go back to the checklist manifesto and something that, that people may be familiar with you know, in their day-to-day business or any business that they've worked in where you have a, a daily huddle or a t- toolbox meeting for getting everybody in, on the same page. Yep. So that's a example of a process and yep. the, the idea is to generate teamwork and understand what the problem was. Yeah. And in the checklist manifesto, as I said, the, the premise of the book was Atul Gawande uh, writing this safe surgery checklist for the World Health Organization. And what they found was there was all of these other outcomes, beneficial outcomes to patients that were over and above the scope of the checklist. So the checklist, again, as we spoke about, was brief, had the most critical things. And they did some further research and they found it was the teamwork that it was created. Had they achieved that though, what was the actual steps? Because I mean, it's a big leap to go from checklist or meeting to then additional teamwork. So what happens is, and it may be, it, it was news to me, but a surgery team, you know, with, with nurses and ethodists, you know, potentially several nurses, you know, few surgeons, they can come together as a team and not know each other beforehand, okay, and, and not know the patient. Right. So that's quite common. Okay. okay. So the first thing in the checklist was everybody to introduce themselves, their role, and their perspective on the patient and any potential complications. Yep. So that was the first thing. They all get in the room, they introduce themselves, they quickly say, this is patient X and this could be a problem, this could be a problem, this could be a problem. Then they, if something goes down or if we have a problem, what's our role, what are we going to do? And they quickly discuss it. So this takes not very long. It's effectively, you know, a daily huddle, a toolbox meeting before you start. I know we've talked a bit about hospitals, but that can be applied to any business. I mean, think about how in your business, having a daily huddle where you have all team members around talking about, you know, what their struggles are, what they're working on and how they can leverage the group's knowledge to have more beneficial outcomes. That's powerful for any business. Yeah. And and that's where the delegating the power and the autonomy back to the team members is like, okay, we're dealing with this client. What could go wrong? Who's handling it this? You know, what happened last time? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Yeah. And it created this pause point for everybody to come together. Everybody get the unique perspective of the other person. You know, the surgeon to understand what the the nurse was thinking. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. The nurse to know exactly what the surgeon was thinking. So when things went wrong, as they 
inevitably do, <laughs> do you know what I mean, which happens in surgery, it happens in any, any business, then all of a sudden the team are prepared. They're all on the same page. And that was the, these unknown outcomes that, that happened. It's a great point. But I mean, at the end of the day, if you're looking to scale your business, you're not going to be able to be there making every decision every day forever. You know, you have to be able to have a team under you that has the ability to do that themselves. Yeah, you've got to decentralize and give people autonomy, make sure they know when to pause, make sure they know when to ask for help, make sure they know when to escalate. Mm -hmm. So in that huddle or that daily huddle, it's like, what are your problems? Where are you going to be? Who is responsible? Who can grant the guest in the Ritz-Carlton example the $2,000, you know? Can your admin staff call the client up and rebook them without all of these simple things? It's like you're delegating responsibility, you're delegating decision-making, and you're empowering your team to, to solve the problem for your customer. Have you got anything else to say about delegating responsibility? Because if not, I'm ready to butt heads on record keeping and process. <laughs> well, back to my wash line example, yep. and I'll go back yep. to that step. There was a critical step where they just had to go to the packing team and make sure they're on the same page. Yep. So you had all of these, you know, these 18 pages, but a critical step was, is like, go to the guys next door and saying, are we working off the same plan? Do you mm. know? and make sure you've got the same plan. Because many times they start washing product A and it's like, oh, hang on, hang on. We thought we were washing product B. So yes. again, there was that pause point. It yep. was front and center. Go talk to the guys, make sure we're on the same page. And I think that could work. And it just realign or reinforces that alignment. You know, having a process like that aligns the teams, more efficient work and better outcomes for everyone. Yeah, good. All right, Hugh. You said earlier that processing and checklists and et cetera, they're not record keeping practices, but that's not been my experience. Nearly everywhere I've worked, we've had to file or store or keep or maintain. What do you actually think? I think you've got to understand the difference. Like some, some processes are by default record keeping, you know, yep. operations. You're talking about your ISO accreditation mm -hmm. and all of that stuff. To maintain any accreditation, you need records. Yeah. But- the counter or the point that I want to make is not every process needs to have records kept. Why would you say some don't need it? Well, I'll go the other way. I'll answer your question with a, with a different sort of question. It is like, <laughs> I would say, well, why does everything seem to end up with as a record keeping procedure? Yeah. And my, my problem with the record keeping procedure is like, it adds, you know, that friction. It doesn't make it easy to use. Mm -hmm. So if it's essential then yeah, keep the records. Like if it's, when I say if it's essential, it's essential for maintaining a standard, well, it needs to be built in. Mm. But I think the, there's two, two key things where people go wrong. One, yep. quite often the process is uh, driven by quality staff and quality staff default to record keeping, you know, <laughs> which is in a bigger business, you know, or any accreditation. But the second thing that I think would resonate more with the audience is, is business owners not wanting to let go control. So they create a form, you know what I mean? So they can micromanage their team, making sure they're filling out the form. You yes. Know, did you follow the process? Yes, like a hawk just yeah. overseeing. <laughs> Predator constantly watching. Well, I mean, it's all well and good to acknowledge that issue, but I mean, we need to teach people how to overcome that. So in your opinion, how do you think a manager can go from micromanaging to using a process and not needing to be involved? Back to uh, the checklist manifesto and a, and a story that was used in that book on uh, the story of Van Halen and the brown M&M's clause. <laughs> yep. Okay. So Van Halen, famous rock band, 
they were the first uh, rock band to take these massive productions to to tertiary markets, so outside mainstream venues. They, okay. They'd rock up with you know eighteen trucks to venues that were used to seeing two or three trucks. Okay, yep. so they were going into these different venues that weren't used to having such a big production. Mm. And buried in the band's contract, it was specified that in their dressing rooms that they must have a bowl of M and M's with all the brown M and M's removed. <laughs> Jeez, okay. Yeah. Okay, so this is not some strange diva demand by a rock band, but it was actually a method for checking that the promoter and the event organisers had fully read all the technical specifications in the contract. Oh, okay. So it's quite clever. It's a method of checking without having to check. Yeah, it's a trigger clause. So if there wasn't in their dressing room a bowl of M&Ms with all the brown ones removed, the band could forfeit the show and the promoter an organiser would be responsible for all the costs. So what the band used to do was that they would notice this and they go, okay, they haven't followed all the specifications Mm. that they need. And then they'd go online, check the venue for safety because, as I said, these venues weren't used to putting on these productions. Yep. And more than once they acted on the clause. Like they said, oh, they haven't followed our our process for how to set up the venue. They went and checked the staging. It wasn't rated for the weight. As soon as the audience turned up, it would have collapsed. So they forfeited the venue. And this is what we want to talk about now is like, well, how do you eliminate the tick and flick forms Mm. and build in a check within the process? Yeah. So a couple points from that. First, I'm very curious to hear what all the band's venues that got right (laughs) did with those (laughs) M&Ms. There's just a dump somewhere with a bin full of brown (laughs) M&Ms. I actually think of the guy picking through the M&Ms, you know what I mean? (laughs) Good process worker. Um, But the second point then, so, I mean, that's that's quite clever and uh, I wouldn't have expected it from a band like Van Halen, but what a good idea to not have to look at everything every time. Instead, you have this one indication, okay, well, that's not right. We need to just double check the rest. So how do you apply that then to your business? Did you do that with your process, what we were discussing earlier? Yeah, well, if we go back to that setting up the washing process, mm-hmm. and I'll just recap on the process, the five steps. Okay, make sure the seals are connected, turn on the cooling, discuss the production plan with the packing team and, and confirm matching plans on your respective whiteboards, mm-hmm. get the first product ready and add the cleaning agent. So when I walk into the room, if they didn't have matching plans on their respective whiteboards, I know they didn't follow the process. Yep. And then you call BS because they're behind. Oh, and and when confronted, you know, people again go, oh, this happened or what happened or, you know, they probably don't get it straight. But straight away, if I go to the respective whiteboards and they didn't have matching plans, I know they did. They missed a step. Yeah. So that and was your trigger step. That was the trigger. That was the trigger step. So I didn't need them to fill out a tick and flick form, which you go back because I know with my experiences, you go, well, you never completed the form. I was going to do that at the end of the day or I was going to do this or something happened or I had to print a new form. So you need to build in the checks within the process. Yep, yep. And the final step, Connell, is pretty self-explanatory discipline. What's to know about this? uh, This all means squat if you don't do it, if you don't have the discipline, you know. Mm -hmm. And and I think it starts from the top too. You can't have a do as I say, not as I do mentality. You've got to follow through. And it's a little bit different but similar to BATS. Those who plan without ever acting never get anyone. But if you plan and act, you're going to be top of the pack. Yeah, well, absolutely. You need action. Mm-hmm. And it segues quite nicely to our next show in the sense that, you know, like the next two shows, we're talking business leadership and culture. And I think that's where the discipline is. You as a leader, you're responsible. Do you know, yes. If you want to scale your business and you want consistent results, then these are some of the keys to success. You know, Fantastic. Closing the loop. Any topics that needed further thought, we come back and close the loop. All right, Hugh, what have you got for us? 
Uh, it was nice to get a bit of feedback from show seven, Connell, into show eight now, uh, 92 <laughs> to go. And again, we spoke about me getting distracted by the shiny things and Ryan added his shiny object syndrome about thinking something new and, and also our previous businesses venture into the software as a service and, and people were quite surprised because I was quite passionate about that project and that, uh, that business and mm. it wasn't anything wrong with the business or anything wrong with the idea. I just want to clarify that we should have stayed focused on the core as a, you know, outcome. Mm-hmm. It would have been better staying focused in what we did best, staying in our niche. And that was the learning, you know, like, yeah, I had great fun and I got to reconnect with a good friend who we started with yeah. that business with. And I don't regret that, but we're here to inspire and educate. And the mm-hmm. learning for the audience is like, you know, stay focused on what you're good at. Yeah, I mean, if we look back at the story of Kodak, distractions can be harmful. They can be successful in the, you know, over a period of time, but there were times where they ended up killing a big company. So (laughs) it's a consideration you have to make. Yeah, and I think you've had your own sort of experience on getting really clear on on your niche. And that's the beautiful thing about this podcast is it's applicable. I mean, being a new business owner, I get to learn the information or I get to utilize the information I learn. And um, what I've kind of done recently is I've started to develop my own niche because it wasn't clear enough. And I've really realized I need to specialize down to see some of the effects that it can have because I was trying to be too much like the fox, you know, too many things at once, not doing any of them. You know, it was a jack of all trades, master of none situation. (laughs) And I think also linking it back to the rapid fire review where we gave that analogy about, you know, your momentum and you hadn't actually had some of the breakthrough or you hadn't had the ice melt, but, and now you're starting to see some of those breakthrough moments by niching down and getting very, very clear, you you can actually be pushing harder in the one direction. Thank you for bringing it back to the rapid fire review because I did say I'd touch back on it. So exactly right. Some of the effects that defining my niche more clearly has had is I can now set goals more easily. A lot of my processes are more efficient. You know, we spoke about process today. (laughs) So having an efficient process makes my life easier every second. And everything's just more measurable. I, you know, don't waste time doing things that aren't effective because I don't even realize they aren't effective. Now I can easily measure the benefit of doing something versus not doing it. So yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, Also today on Closing the Loop, we as need our listeners to give us a hand like they like we're always needing them. And what we, again, big advice from producer Gil, some reviews would help us yes. kick things along. Just to touch on this as well, we're still running the $500 giveaway. So either a Harrison assessment or $500 from Hugh's bank account, not mine. <laughs> um, but exactly right. Having five-star reviews helps us get seen by more people. So if you're enjoying the show and you're listening, definitely feel free to give us a review on your favorite listening Spot. And I'll be a little bit clearer there, Connell, a review, written review, as opposed to a five-star ads. And it helps others find the show who like the show. Yeah. So what you like, tell everybody how cute Connell is on the social medias (laughs) and go from there. I get enough of that already. (laughs) I'm sure you do. Okay, Connell, uh, into final thoughts for the show. Let's hear it. This is 2P1J. Okay, Hugh, let's put it all together. But before we do... Just want the audience to know what they have to look forward to over the coming weeks. Our next shows are going to be on leadership and culture. And in the meantime, they can jump on our socials at www.2p1j.com or 2p1j 
two paths, one journey on any of their favorite social medias. Like we said in Closing the Loop, the $500 giveaway is still going. So absolutely an incentive to do it and definitely leave us a review if you feel like you can. All right, put it all together, Hugh. So as we spoke about in Bads' box and throughout the show, you know, in business, every day is game day. So how do you make sure your processes are optimized for every day? optimized for the game day. Firstly, you've got to figure out what you're doing and you've got to write it down. After that, these are the key steps. You've got to ensure the stupid but critical stuff is not overlooked, not buried in a 140-page manual, (laughs) okay? It should be simple and easy to use. So remove the friction, increase the compliance. That means accessibility. It's simple and easy to follow and make sure your teams have the tools to support the execution. You know what I mean? If you want your teams to sanitize your hands, put wash basins everywhere. The next thing which people miss, the point about a great process, it doesn't try to solve every circumstance. It acknowledges that problems will occur and it you know, enables flexibility. It manages complexity by emphasizing teamwork, leveraging the knowledge of the group and everybody knowing their roles. Mm-hmm. So responsibility is the strategy. Give your employees the freedom to adapt you know, and make choices. Facilitate discussion. Where are the pause points? What could go wrong? What is my role? What is the other person's role? Who has a decision-making authority? Don't make it a record-keeping exercise if you don't have to. You know, Learn how to build in the checks into the process. Think of Van Halen and the Brown M&Ms. Discipline. You are the leader. You must set the example. It doesn't mean squat if you don't have the action. And the other thing too is is which the audience may thinking where to start. And we've spoken about this in the show is just start. Do you know, like, as I said, in some of my early experiences, I got benefit from just starting. So the same sort of thing, pick your process that makes money, pick a process that is causing you trouble, but just start. And final thing is just credit back to uh, the checklist manifesto and all of that work. Cause we've, we've just based the show off, off all of that. So Connell, Hopefully our listeners know how to create some process architecture and do a better job in their own businesses. Absolutely. Fantastic summary, Hugh. Thank you for being here. And thank you listeners for... Uh, well, <laughs> that's not funny. <laughs> um, and You're thank, welcome. <laughs> and thank you listeners for uh, tuning in and staying with us throughout the, today's show. Um, and we've got to apologise to our producer, Gil. We told you all last week that he'd be joining us today, but unfortunately he didn't make the cut. But if he's lucky, he might get a guest appearance on a future show. (laughs) Um, And again, just one last time, next week's show or, yep, one of the next upcoming shows, Leadership. So stick around. Thanks, Connell. Thanks, Gil. Thanks, listeners. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Two Paths, One Journey. Thank you for tuning in and supporting the show. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And if you really love today's show, please leave us a five-star review. It helps other people discover the show and grow our community. We also want to hear from you. If you have any questions, comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can reach us at 2p1j.com or send us an email at info at 2p1j.com. We read every message and we'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening to 2p1j. We'll see you next time.